Welcome to the Global Careers Podcast, sponsored by GW Cyber, the source for inspiring stories from seasoned professionals who have embraced a global role and reaped the benefits. We offer practical advice and insider tips across a broad swath of industries and fields around the world. You know, whether or not you've considered moving abroad or taking on an international role, globalization will impact your career. So join us for a lively discussion as we explore what an international career really means. My name is Stacey Nevadomsky-Burdan, and I'll be your host. In Season 5, we focus on women in global careers, the challenges and opportunities, and how things have evolved over the last few years. Join us as we hear from eight global women as they share their inspiring stories, working around the world in such fields as tech, diplomacy, investing, marketing, and more. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Elizabeth Chasia, Investment Director at Momentus Capital, a community-focused financial institution based in D.C. Prior to Momentus Capital, Elizabeth worked in emerging markets, managing a portfolio of investments across Kenya, Tanzania, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, Cambodia, and Myanmar. She's also worked in management consulting in the United Arab Emirates and for an ed tech startup in Kenya. Welcome, Elizabeth. So nice to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. So let's dive in. So one of the objectives of our podcast is to provide a sense of the careers that are out there, more than just titles, right? What is it that you do? So I work in the field of impact investing, and I have so over the last seven to 10 years. So what I focus on is providing capital to companies with the goal of achieving a financial return and a social return. So this capital is in the form of you know, debt or equity or in more complex cases, a mixture of the two. Um, and to analyze a financial return, um, I perform a role uh, that is not so dissimilar from traditional investing. Um, however, the difference in my role between traditional investing, I guess, and what I do is that I also look at social returns. Uh, so that can mean a variety of things. Uh, you know, is this company creating jobs? Is it improving healthcare? Um, is it helping to reduce poverty? Is it helping to improve waste reduction, et cetera? Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been been doing with my career globally and now uh, domestically um, over the last decade. Mm, neat. And so, you know, ESG, the environmental, social, and, you know, kind of corporate governance um, has been on the rise in the last few years. I know a lot of our listeners, a lot of students are really interested in it. Why are you so passionate about it? And what kind of advice would you have for students who are interested in pursuing it? Sure. So um, ESG and impact investing are uh, in the same thread and are, are slightly different. Uh, ESG is a tool that's used, I would say, primarily in the public markets to screen companies, you know, based on their corporate policies. Uh, so, you know, if a company is doing something that's harmful for the environment, then, you know, investor may take that company out of the portfolio because that environmental part of the ESG is not being hit. Uh, so I think ESG is very valuable in terms of screening what companies you want to invest in. Impact investing goes a little bit further. Uh, it's still a fairly young industry, but the intention of impact investing is to measure and provide that social return. More than screening, it's actually now trying to capture and collect the data around the outcomes that the company is actually doing in, in order to improve the environment or improve social outcomes. So that's sort of what uh, I've been doing for impact investing and what I've been working on. Uh, and my passion for the industry came pretty early in my career. After uh, college, I started off in the nonprofit world, primarily in philanthropy, actually. 
And I then pursued an MBA at Columbia Business School. And I remember writing my business school application essay on the topic of impact investing. But the term, it may have existed, but I didn't know it at the time. And I wanted to essentially figure out, which now I, I guess sounds crude, but how do you make money off of philanthropy? So how do you expand doing good for society with doing well in sort of capitalistic terms? I thought that those areas were bifurcated and that they, they shouldn't be. Uh, so coming into my uh, MBA, that's what I decided I wanted to pursue. And that was about 10 years ago. And I've continued to, to kind of focus on the sector since then. In terms of advice, um, you know, thankfully, there are a lot more resources available now than when I was trying to get into the field. Um, there are a lot of internships. Uh, there are a lot of impact investing firms. I would say um, because it mixes this financial and social, you know, if someone has financial skills, I would advise them to go work for a company that is socially responsible or has impact embedded in their business model. And if you have more impact focus or socially responsible skills or that kind of background, you know, go work for potentially a financial institution. Um, that way you can kind of understand which areas speak to your passion and skills. Um, the field is a hybrid of both and different roles have different weights of like finance and impact. So that would be my advice is to try out both and see where what excites you more um, and then kind of pursue a role in that area. That is so great. And, you know, it's so important because you're right. You don't have to just it just doesn't have to be philanthropy. There's no reason that money cannot be made while also having mm -hmm. an impact. So that's brilliant. That's great. Um, I, I, I know that so many of our listeners are interested in that. And I think it's really important and important for the planet, important for the world, because, you know, money's where it's at. And if people don't make money, they lose interest really quickly, don't they? Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. So so you have worked all over Middle East, Africa, Southeast Asia and in some of the fastest growing countries in the world. What do you see that's trending in some of those, those markets mm -hmm. now? Well, I can speak maybe specifically to Sub-Saharan Africa, which is still a massive region, but I'll try my best to <laughs> generalize a bit. So the most exciting thing right now, I would say, is sort of the financial services industry and the fintech landscape. In the U.S., you know, I, we started going to banks you know, hundred over a hundred years ago, and we were doing branch banking, right? Like we, you know, perhaps our parents went to their local branch to be able to, you know, withdraw money or, uh, you know, talk to their, you know, the the local banker about getting a, a loan for something. And then it transitioned to internet banking, and then it transitioned to mobile banking. So now everything is done on the phone, and that's maybe what all of us young people are used to is doing all those transactions, Venmo and etc. Over our uh, from our, from our smartphone. And in much of sub-Saharan sub Africa, the transition went from not going to a bank, like maybe what could have happened 150 or 200 years ago in the United States, to mobile banking. So they leapfrogged. Uh, they skipped over all the steps that <laughs> we, we were spending 100 years doing. Um, so this allows for a lot of innovation, um, especially with those who may not be served by traditional financial institutions. And so they're banking completely on their phone. Uh, and that gives an opportunity for a lot of interesting products um, in ways in which to evaluate how someone is credit worthy if they don't, you know, maybe they uh, don't have a steady job or, you know, they've never had a bank account before, they've never gotten a loan before, like, how do you know? 
uh, whether they you know, are credit worthy. Um, how do you maintain checking or savings accounts from the phone? So there is wide adoption of smartphones on the continent, more than people think. It's probably around 50 to 60 percent right now. Uh, on the African continent. And so this, I think that that's the most exciting thing that's happening right now is is fintech uh, and, and where the region is. Mm, so cool. So what are some of the lessons? That's really interesting. The leapfrog, the change, the perspective, the perception of what's happening in various places. What are some of the interesting lessons that you've learned? You know, I think it, it, Part of it, and maybe this is sort of the theme through my entire global career, is how different you know things are. You know that from what I'm used to growing up here um, versus the way things are over there. And I think one of the big lessons I learned is is how people interact with money is really different. Uh, so you know, in some, in let's say Zambia, for example, or another African country in a predominantly rural area. You know, they may not use cash to do a number of things. They may be more bartering with their neighbors. You know, I give you a goat and you give me, you know, a fertilizer and this and that. And so financial transactions are happening, but they not may not be happening with cash. <laughs> and so I think it's really maintaining an open mind and learning a lot along the way about how people do things and how they live their lives. Um, and that's helped me to to become a better investor and um, to be more open-minded uh, to kind of break down some of those barriers that of things that I think are the way things are uh, just because of where I grew up. Yeah, that's so neat. And I, and I love it. So I'm going to ask you a little, go a little deeper on that with some of the, you know, the challenges of working internationally, because you have, you have had a tremendous global, global career, most of your career, right, is, is, has been international. Mm -hmm. You have seen a variety and worked through so many different cultural nuances, business etiquette, yeah, goat for fertilizer, those kinds of transactions, <laughs> really neat. But what, okay, share some more, share some more, not maybe not only what you've learned, but just, just um, what are the some of the differences? Yeah, so I mean, there there's definitely some in terms of like business etiquette. There are some things that are um, that that you need to know in terms of like attire. I mean, I worked in the Middle East <laughs> for a little while, and you know that sort of plays in there in terms of you know what to wear, how to handle yourself. Do people shake hands? Do you know what do they do in terms of starting a business meeting? Uh, even something as simple as how do you treat a business card? You know, in some uh, in the you know U.S., you might get someone's business card. You take a look at it. You take a picture of it with your phone. I feel like that's happening now. You just you know put it in your wallet. Um, you know, in some in in when I was working in Asia, I was very much like take your business card and it's a very valuable object. You place it on the table to show that you know you have respect for that person and that respect for that professional and that you will take care of the relationship and that's how you sort of demonstrate that through the business card. So there are definitely nuances that <laughs> I've had to to learn along the way and ask a lot of questions in, in the way in which, uh, you know, especially before I arrive um, on a business trip there uh, on, you know, how to conduct myself. It's better to sort of ask those kinds of questions rather than sort of going in and, um, you know, trying to just do it the way you normally do it because every place is a bit different. So in terms of business ed business etiquette, that there, there are definitely some things that uh, I've had to learn <laughs> um, and make mistakes on along the way. And then in generally with, with uh, challenges, it's, um, you know, I have worked in a number of English speaking countries uh, and also a little bit of French speaking countries, but, you know, uh, I, there are definitely countries that I've worked in that, you know, English is not the primary language that's spoken and I've had to work with a translator in order to do business. And, you know, it's a bit difficult. Uh, you don't catch everything when you work with a translator, even though they're 
obviously depicting everything to you and giving you all the information, but you have to pay a lot more attention to body language and the way that someone facial expressions and things like that to understand like, oh, you know, is this a, a tense area? Um, you know, does this person feel strongly about what they're trying to communicate to you? Uh, so there are some cultural nuances that even if you don't speak the language that you will be able to pick up on. But those are all things that I, I challenges and I guess you could say also opportunities that I've, I've had to learn uh, with this global career. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I worked a lot in Asia for years and I remember going through some of the business meetings in, in Tokyo and the, the translation would be sound like paragraphs and paragraphs and I get like, Two sentences. I'd be like, oh, you're not telling me everything. <laughs> I know you're not telling me everything. And it, you, then you start to get paranoid and you get sleepy and you know, all kinds of things run through your you're right. And that's it is it is it is an art form in and of itself to actually conduct a business meeting through translators. Um yeah. because you have to compose yourself as well as yeah, that's great. That's very cool. <laughs> so so you've obviously um, lived and worked around the world, you have a global mindset, but a lot of people still, particularly in the United States, say no, that's not for me, you know, what would you say to people um, who, who say, nah, globalization, global mindset's not for me. I just want to kind of live and work here in DC or New York or San Francisco. You know, the, I would say the world is completely interlinked now. Um, and I have invested in, in companies in Africa and startups in Africa. And, you know, some of them have gone through Y Combinator, which is one of the premier sort of, you know, accelerator uh, that for companies or new companies in the United States. So things are, you know, things are not as dispersed as, as we, as they were in the past, you know, technology has made global more local, if that makes sense. Uh, so I think that everybody could benefit from um, having a global mindset or having a global career. It teaches you to be adaptable. Um, so even some of the things about the business etiquette that we were just describing before, and, and it teaches you about problem solving. Um, when I was in Kenya, I worked on a supply chain and I had to figure out how to get goods between Turkey and Kenya. And I've never done that. I had never done that at the time. And uh, I just talked to people. I learned. I made mistakes. I figured it out. And when you're operating or working in a country that is not your own, there are so many more variables for you in your daily job. And I think that... Uh, it's that adaptability and willingness to learn that becomes like a strength. And you become less phased uh, as you are presented with challenges in your career sort of moving forward. And that's never gonna change. Your career is always gonna have challenges. And as the, the, way, the way that you adapt to them is gonna help contribute to your success. So I would look at it as a way, you know, that it's, you know, while maybe you aren't passionate specifically about a region or something like that, but their their inherent professional skills by having global mindset or uh, working in a different country that you can uh, pick up. Yeah, and what you said about um um a, a few minutes ago regarding you know knowing that um uh, mobile is fifty to sixty percent of people across the continent are using um, mobile phones, right? Smartphones and other mm -hmm. things that are happening. I think it really helps to appreciate. And maybe you can share some examples of things that people may think. Um, well, you know, the U.S., I mean, we're the leaders in this, we're the leaders in that, when that's really not true. It is not true in many places anymore, whether it has to do with fintech or different other types of technology or different types of supply chain issues. Or um, um, do you have anything to share there that it's not really – we staying here is not necessarily the be-all, end-all for the best thing for a person's career because there are bigger and better things happening in other parts of the world? Yeah, I mean, there, there, it, it's uh – 
it, I agree with you. It's not true that the, the U.S. is necessarily the leader in absolutely everything. Um, you know, and, and this, you know, not to give another uh, sort of mobile sort of fintech example, but, you know, Kenya has been using mobile money for 20 years. And we're not even using mobile money <laughs> as, as well as they are. Um, and so it's, it's just, just an example of how they're actually much further ahead in terms of transacting on their phone uh, than we may be. Um, and, you know, uh, other examples are also just sort of, you know, within um, agriculture, you know, there, there, are, there are countries on, on the continent that are way better at, you know, unifying all these farmers together to produce a good that's then exported to Europe or, or uh, the US. And, you know, avocados are a really good example, you know, that those are made way better, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa than they may be here. So it's, it's I think in all industries, you'll find something where another country is a, a complete leader uh, further than the US may be. So I, I think it's, um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's it, one should not assume that the U.S. is, is the best at everything. Uh, you know, there are countries that are really thriving based on their particular macroeconomic circumstance. And there's a lot to learn from that. Mm, well said. Well said. Great. And since you've touched a lot on Africa um, and we know it's a continent, it is not uh, a country. <laughs> and we always always like to point that out. Um, is there a piece of advice that you would give listeners who are interested? Because I know a lot of students are interested in pursuing something, careers um in Africa, and you have a, a market or a country in particular or an industry that you want to mm-hmm. say is kind of hot and they should look into? You know, I just to give, I, you know, and maybe this is for people who've already uh, are interested in Africa and have already decided that that's what they want to do. I, for others who might be on the fence, I say definitely do it. You know, work some time on the African continent. And the reason why is because uh, half of the African population is under 18. Um, the average age in, in the U.S. I think is about forty. <laughs> so if you can under if you like basically half of half of the African continent are children. Um, so if you can imagine the repercussions or the what's going to happen in twenty years because of that in terms of the population and their weight in in the global society, uh, they're way younger than all of us are. Um, so in terms of uh, uh, in terms of like advice to someone who's looking to do it. You know, if, if if you're still in school and maybe taking a job in an internship on the continent is not what you can do right now, I would encourage you to take on projects or coursework, um, you know, take classes that deal primarily on some of the issues that might be affecting the African continent. You know, volatile currencies or, um, you know, looking at minerals and things like that, that those are key sort of um, things that, you know, African countries, uh, challenges that African countries have to face. And if you are able to actually take a job or an internship, uh, I would uh, strongly suggest that you do. All startups are are starving for talent, no matter whether they're in the U.S. or on the African continent. And early in your career, financial compensation probably matters less. So I would take the opportunity to work for a startup or work for a company on the African continent and go there and live there. Um, and get a feel for what it's like and see if that's something that, uh, uh, you know, that you you enjoy. Because I think that if you do want to work, let's say in Kenya, they're going to really value the fact that you worked for a company, even for three months in Kenya. They'll Im- immediately say, okay, yeah, you, you understand how things work here, at least a little bit, more than someone who, 
you know, maybe has never been there before. Um, and so, yeah, and I, and I guess in sort of, if you were saying specific countries, you know, I would look at um, Kenya and, and Zambia and Tanzania and Uganda. I would say that those are a number of countries that I think would be open to having uh, um, some foreign workers, uh, e- even temporary. Thank you for all of that. That's wonderful. Kind of like transitioning to about being a woman um, in any of those. And has has being a woman helped you in your international career? Any obstacles? Has gender even played a role? What do you think? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I've definitely sat in boardrooms filled with only male <laughs> senior executives <laughs> and had to, you know, ask them tough questions about cost reduction or what, you know, they feel their company's market position is, et cetera. So, and it definitely made me nervous um, at times, but that's the way most boardrooms look like globally. So I, I don't necessarily think it's, uh, um, you know, it's not something that you could, this, it's something that you will face in the U.S. too, uh, a boardroom that only has male senior exec. That's not specific to, you know, Cambodia or um, or other countries. Uh, it, I think, I don't want to downplay that 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 it can it's, it's a challenging thing, but I, I still don't think it should be a deterrent to, to want to, for you to continue to do your career and be the best that you can at your job. Um, there are definitely biases. It might be harder, but um, I would say take it in stride and keep going. Um, I did find, I would say the gender was helpful with other female senior execs when I was abroad. To, and this is a sweeping generalization, but you know, as a part of my role, it's it's important for me to really understand companies inside out um, in order to analyze their risk and, and suggest whether an investment should be made. And I found that at times female senior execs were senior execs were relieved or can, you know, happy to see me on the other side of the table. And as a result, were more comfortable being honest and truthful with me. Um, so yeah, I think there are definitely challenges and there will continue to be, uh, you know, until there are more, uh, women at the table. Uh, but I, I think as a result, we should, you know, we should keep striving to to have that quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. That's wonderful. And how about, and I love the woman to woman connection, because that often does happen, right? Right, And it does make a big yeah. difference. Yeah. How about being a, a woman or just a person of color? Um, Africa, mm-hmm. that's one. And then you've got Asia and you've got the Middle East, too. Because um, <laughs> I think that's, yeah. a, that's a, that's a, it's a big deal as well. Yeah, I'm, in, I, obviously, within Sub-Saharan Africa, it was it was definitely a strength <laughs> because you know it was you know I I it looked like every other executive <laughs> of those African companies, and so uh, that you know was it you know I think that that was actually a, a way for me to be able to connect with people even more as a person of color, and not something that frankly they were used to seeing. A lot of the investors that go over there are you know um, from Europe or. So, you know, they were happy to see someone like me in, in the same room with them sitting at that table. Um, and, you know, in Asia, I, I, I think that was, I was a unique, especially in a place like Cambodia. I was definitely unique, but it was, um, in, it, I definitely got a lot of questions <laughs> about my background, you know, how I ended up with my job, you know, whether, you know, I'd ever been to Cambodia before or something like that. Um, but at the end of the day, it was it was great to be able to just do the work, you know. Um, I think most of the uh, executives that I came across were um, curious and uh, you know you know wanted to learn more about me, but uh, you know not resistance to my to my presence. 
Um, the good thing about where I was in the Middle East, I was in the UAE and Dubai is a, uh, a city that is very, very global. And so as a result, you know, I was able to, I was definitely not the, there many, many people of diverse backgrounds live and work in, in Dubai. Um, so I was uh, just a dime a dozen mm-hmm, <laughs> there. Mm-hmm. Very so, cosmopolitan. Um, yeah. yeah cosmopolitan. You know, I think that it's, it's not something that is uh, you, you can, uh, you can ignore, but I found mostly uh, that they took me as a professional and it was a positive experience. Mm-hmm. That's great. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, um, I know you're a new mom, uh, and you're back in D.C., <laughs> barely kind of like a year. Um, so maybe you can't really answer the question, you know, how do you balance career and, uh, and the family life yet, although you can because you've lived in many different places around the world. And, um, you know, we all live leave friends and families back wherever it was that we grew up. How have you managed the balance? You know, what kind of choices have you had to make? Um, and what advice do you have to give? Yeah, I mean, I'll start – with the with the the child thing first, yes, that's correct. I am a new mom. I have a three month old daughter, <laughs> and uh, I did make the decision um, to actually sort of pull back from uh, a a, a, a job that had a lot of travel um, when I learned that I was expecting. In in my prior roles, I traveled about 40 percent of the time. And I had what was called a six plus two schedule. I was home for six weeks and then I was in Asia or Africa for two weeks. That was the ideal. But honestly, sometimes I was away for six straight weeks or seven straight weeks. Um, So I did have to ask myself when I was expecting, um, you know, what do I want the next two years to look like? Like, what do I want the first few years of my daughter's life to look like? And I made the decision that I wanted to be home most days. Um, in the early parts of her life. And so I took a role that was very similar and a growth opportunity for my prior role, but was more, more domestically focused. Believe me, there's still travel, but at least it's short-term travel and um, I'm home uh, almost every day. So I think that that is a, a, a conscious decision I made. And then hopefully when she goes to preschool, I can go back to that level of travel and everyone should do what's best for their family. And that was what was best for our family. Um, and then in terms of career, in terms of like my own family, like my siblings and my parents, and, you know, I, I, I spent, you know, five years abroad, living abroad. And then I spent another five years working at a job in the United States with heavy travel abroad. And I made that decision also to be a little bit closer to my family and see them more regularly. And I had not in the last few years. And I just want to say that there are opportunities for you to have a global career, but still be in the United States. Um, and there are obviously opportunities for you to have a global career and be abroad. And so that I sort of have been balancing that and will continue to do so um, when the needs of my family arise. So that sort of has been my sort of calculus is what's best for the next you know couple of years and I'll do that. And then it obviously it changes and then I, I, uh, I pivot again. Mm-hmm. Because you've had such great opportunities and done so many different interesting things in many parts, I'm sure you have a very, very, um, an excellent resume with many marketable skills. So that's actually one of the benefits of a global career for sure, right? I mean, it's it's that element yes, that you've it, got so much. It helps you, yeah. You can you touch on so many different things that are um, that you can connect with uh, others on, and so I think that again that adaptability you know, for a future employer, I think they can already see that, you know, from your resume and just sort of the way that you speak about your previous job and roles and stuff. And 
it's attractive. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me, um, um, Elizabeth, if there's a, is there a piece of advice that you would like to go back and give your younger self sitting where you are today? Yeah, I, so I would say choose your own path. I know that's sort of a, a statement people say all the time, but I, to, to the way that I sort of think about this choose your own path is, is that it, it honestly doesn't matter what your peers are doing. I think this is hard for high achieving students and young professionals um, that might be in sort of this comparison mode. Uh, you know, my friend got promoted at XYG job and now they have this title and I'm still stuck at my job and I haven't been promoted yet. Um, they say comparison is the killer of joy. <laughs> and I think that's really true. Um, it makes you it, 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 it makes you not realize how special the road you've traveled on or the accomplishments that you've had. So figure out your path from A to B to C. You know, talk, obviously talk to people you trust or are knowledgeable that can help you get from, you know, A to B to C. But don't compare yourself to others because they're on a completely different path. And it honestly, it's not that helpful uh, unless they have exactly the same job that you have. <laughs> um, it, it's, it doesn't help you to compare. It just, it just makes it worse. So, um, you know, keep focused on what you're doing. And I think that that is better than, than looking around to see what everybody else is doing. Mm, great advice. Great advice. This has been a wonderful conversation, Elizabeth. I really, really appreciate your taking the time. This has been great. I could actually keep talking to you, actually, uh, for a couple more hours. But uh, we do have a limited amount of time. So there's one last question, which is, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I guess is this also your, your career is long. So many of us are going to be working, what, 40 45, potentially even 50 years. So you can reinvent yourself multiple times. So, you know, uh, g- give yourself the space to do that. Uh, you know, there's, it's, it's a long, long journey. Um, but I really appreciate you having me here, Stacey. This was a, a fun conversation. Yeah, it's great. And I love that piece of advice and cheers to that and reinvent, reinvent, reinvent. Keep on doing it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Elizabeth. This has been wonderful. Thanks again for taking the time. Thank you. You have been listening to the GW Cyber Global Careers Podcast. Join us again next time. And in the meantime, go global.